on this episode of Business Interrupted. The crisis management and the business continuity role that I did for a few years actually provided me the much broader view of the organization because when you are doing business continuity and crisis management, you actually touch the entire organization, which is a very good opportunity. But you're a technologist. You look at a data center or te- technologist in specific areas. You look at depth knowledge about it. But when looking at business continuity, you're actually a generalist. Business as usual is challenged every day. It's not about if disruption occurs, it's when. On this original show from Castellan Solutions, we're learning from the world's best leaders, so you can be ready for whatever comes next. I'm your host, Shia Marling. Picture this. You've been recruited for your first job. You're excited to join the organization, but less than a week after starting, you find out the project you were hired for has been canceled. Now you're left without a role in an organization that doesn't know what to do with you. For our guest, that's the reality he faced. But at a time when he could have stepped down, he stepped up. Diraj Puthanvidu, Global Head of Operational Resilience, Cyber Fraud, and Third Party Tech Risk, is a technologist turned accidental risk manager. Despite losing the role he was hired for at his first job, he found an opportunity in cyber while doing research on the then-unknown world of IT security. Since then, he's worked in a variety of fields, including cybersecurity, business continuity and resilience, and operational risk management. In this leader's episode, Jay joins me to discuss the importance of a multifaceted approach in business resilience and how emotional intelligence and situational awareness helped him through the biggest challenge of his career. Hello, Jay. Thank you for joining us on Business Interrupted. Now, looking back through your career, what has been one of those major pivotal moments that really defined the direction of your career and where you are today? That's an interesting question because there have been many moments. In, <laughs> but I would suggest I'll just start with the first one, the, the, one of the early moments in my career where I happened to be in cyber by accident because uh, it, this is where I got recruited initially. It was almost my first job where I was supposed to be doing system administration uh, for an organization. And when I got hired, immediately uh, within the first week itself, my manager came and told me that the client uh, whom I was supposed to be uh, working for um, have withdrawn the project. That means I no longer had the role that I was recruited for. At that point, my manager or my organization did not know what to do with me. So I was hanging around in the organization without a role and uh, knocking the door what to do. So that's the time I started reading about what's happening, what's the next big thing coming up. This is in late 90s, by the way, so it's been a while. And there was, a, there was at that point, I remember there was a book about a firewall um, lying around in the office. So I started reading about firewall and what is a firewall and what security means, etc. And then we started looking at this particular, you know, there was a couple of products that's coming into market. So I started reading about it. Then I asked for a computer to be loaned to me. I started up a mini com- couple of computers to set up a 
lab and started experimenting with this, what I can do. And uh, that's the time uh, I realized, I think uh, this is an area that not many people in the industry are aware of it. So it was like security, IT security, securing your network, because that's uh, this was just about, just before the dot-com bubble happened. So it was just about the time that internet was getting popular and the dot-com bubble was emerging and people were all going internet. So there were some queries coming from customers and I've started picking up the IT security elements of peace. And then it just so happened that when I started doing the research my own and the sales and the pre-sales team came back and said, oh, what are you doing about your cybersecurity? Okay, is it a good thing? for Probably, probably we got some customers who are interested in that as well. And in, in that context, then I realized in, in that little office, uh, I landed becoming the mini expert on cyber, on t- IT security. Within, uh, I picked on it within six months because there was not many people. I became one of the few experts who could talk IT security in the organization. And then there was no looking back. So to me, that was a defining moment because when I was told there was no job and this was not something that I even dreamt about doing it, it happened to be by accident, started reading that and didn't realize it's going to be as grand a career as it is right now in late 90s. To convince that you need security, it took a lot of time to do it. So it was it was an interesting moment, and I'm really proud of where it started with because uh, that kind of triggered me to think about what's the next opportunity in your career. So I did IT security for a while, and then become system integration, product installation, etc. Then went on to do other aspects of integration and consulting, and then moved to banking, and then moved to risk management, and there I am. So to me. That moment in my career, and then that helped me move to the needle every time when I think this is important, when I want to try new. I am not averse to trying anything new in the career in terms of a new role or new opportunities, etc. And I kind of, that kind of keeps me driving all the time. And I think that's a great example because I talk to professionals all the time about next steps, where to take their career. And I think many cases, some people get siloed or they feel that they need to stay within one discipline. But in fact, business continuity, resiliency, security, being such an enterprise-driven aspect across the organization, it encompasses so many different factors and disciplines to make sure that it is conversing across the entire organization. So you have the resiliency, the physical security, the cyber security, you have crisis management, risk management, operational management, all of those different aspects, third-party risk management, where I talk to people today and I say, listen, there's a lot of different directions you can take your career. Back in 1998, it was very siloed, very siloed, very limited with career growth. And now you look at it today, and quite frankly, there's so many different directions. If you want to get more into the cyber piece, or if you want to get more into the third-party risk management You can take it upon yourself just like you did in immersing and learning about it and taking that action to really look for that opportunity, right? Absolutely. And I think uh, that's what I think uh, the key thing happened with is because I happened to do business continuity after, again, kind of by semi-accident because as part of the cybersecurity aspect, you look at confidentiality, integrity, and availability aspects came into peace. So I started looking from cyber and IT disaster recovery as kind of... uh, 
two sides of the coin. You need to look at you know protecting it. You also need to recover from it. So you started looking at that, and it was mostly the IT uh, resilience aspect, the IT continuity aspect is what you kind of started doing from cyber. But then the 9-11 changed a whole lot of things because prior to 9-11, our business continuity plan was to have a server backup in your data center and another one somewhere else, that is your BCP. But I think, and, and the recovery site for people to go to, that was, that was the best. But I think the 9-11 changed the whole way we look at business continuity and crisis management across the world, not just for banking. I think that changed the whole dynamics. And I think that was interesting. So I kind of, to be honest, at that point, I kind of started focusing more on business continuity and crisis management and less on cyber, HO cyber technology risk and information security was always part of my passion. I always had it. But then the priority and the focus of the organization and also so I kind of moved on to more focusing on how are we, are we prepared for a crisis event? Are we prepared for business continuity? So I kind of tried doing that quite a lot because that was the bigger risk at that point in a physical attack we have terror attacks we had you know the the big natural disasters and other stuff so a lot of focus spent on business and it continuity and resilience and then again the cyber picked up a piece of it so by the time then you started looking at you see these are all connected pieces so from a career perspective if you've done cyber security if you've done it control disaster recovery, if you've done business continuity you've done crisis management the good thing about it, you get to see a bigger organization picture and the third-party pieces coming in then as a supply chain risk became very much important in outsourcing and then insourcing and then also the entire landscape of threat on supply chain started coming in. So what were you worried about in supply chain risk? Continuity of your service, security of your service. So you land up being a good candidate who knows the risk emerging from supply chain risk or third-party risk. So you land up doing, okay, I know most important thing. So it helps you build the story. And then when you do that, you also go with credible background and to talk to your stakeholders that I know the stuff. So it's good to move from one to the other. There's also now opportunity. All these disciplines themselves are a big pillars on its own to make a full career out of that. So I think there's an option to switch from, option to stick to, or you can do risk, operational risk management, which kind of covers the framework elements of all of that, etc. So there's... There's a lot of things that you can do, and I think you don't have to stick to it. You can do some couple of years a role, then you can move to another role and come back and do the same thing again. It's all about building the breadth, but having some level of depth in certain areas. You can't be master of all, but you pick up your passionate areas, but you're able to talk to, at least do an elevator pitch to your board members when you get to see a topic that is of interest to them. That's so true. And you know, it's interesting because a lot of individuals, they're trying to grow their career path within this profession, right? And back in the day when it was just the technology disaster recovery, people would find or hit the glass ceiling at a director of disaster recovery back then. That was the term back in 98, 99, or they would become the director of data center recovery. And that was the glass ceiling. They couldn't get above that or beyond it. And now you're seeing that business resiliency, continuity, cyber the enterprise can be within different bubbles, right? It could be reporting into risk management, especially true with financial banking institutions, or it could report into more technology resiliency, cyber, or it could report into more of the, the physical security aspect under a chief security officer, or quite frankly, just under the chief operations officer, right? So I tell people within this profession, 
you can hit through that glass ceiling, but you need to have background in a couple different disciplines, have be expert within a couple different disciplines, but be able to have a broad understanding of what's going into that enterprise program as you move your career upwards. You're absolutely spot on. And the IT security and cyber com- component gives you good depth about technology, the products, and the risk that comes with it. Actually, the crisis management and the business continuity role that I did for a few years actually provided me the much broader view of the organization. Because when you are doing business continuity and crisis management, you actually touch the entire organization, which is a very good opportunity. But you're a technologist. You look at a data center or t- technologist in specific areas. You look at depth knowledge about it. But when looking at business continuity, you're actually a generalist. You are a generalist. You need to think about how good organization can be run in a constrained environment. So you're basically running your business in a constrained environment. So you get a very horizontal view. So that actually helped to look at, if you've done technologies, you move to business continuity resilience, you get the depth, and then you start to get the breadth. Then you're able to talk about broader operational risk matters, broader strategy matters. You know, it could be people could be into organization, change organization. So you could do chief operating officer roles itself because you don't have, when you do these various risk types, you actually know how, what are the operational risk element. You could do operational risk role. You could be a chief operating officer. You could do strategy role. You could all, you could stick to your CISO technology role, etc. So the, the horizon spreads. In my personal experience, this is, me personally speaking about, I think the business continuity experience that and crisis management, very important element because when you do crisis management, you get to deal with the real senior most people and help them guide through the crisis. So you get get that management visibility, you get that exposure, you get the influencing capabilities, decision-making capabilities, a lot of that. So these gets added into your depth of knowledge, technical knowledge. I think then you are a credible talent uh, for any senior management role, I don't think there is any limit to any role. You are probably, if you want to be a trader, it's a very different business, you know. Um, but I think there's many other roles that you could do. So you are based in the UK. Prior to that, you were working in India. What are some of the challenges you find when you look at the discipline from a worldwide perspective, international? Because I know that you've worked in different geographies, but not only that, you've managed global teams. So what are some of the challenges when you look across from, you know, worldwide and in, in implementing a program and driving it forward? The most important thing is the cultural fitment of the program. And that's very, sometimes you underestimate. You could be a global organization, but the local cultures or the regional cultures matters a lot. And that has got a huge impact. And actually, pandemic uh, COVID-19 has been a good demonstration of that. As you, If you look at it, most of the Asia region countries were much better prepared than the West because the pandemic was always an assumption that it originates in Asia and it impacts only in Asia. So all the pandemic planning, while it was planning, I don't think organizations plan such a big scale of pandemic. It's always thought to be an Asia problem. But it can originate from Asia, but it can spread anywhere. And so it, you see... When someone experiences a crisis or someone experiences something, their attitude towards the problem, it changes much different to people who have not experienced it. And I think that's one thing. So culturally, any program that you want to roll out, that 
particular geography is able to relate to that, it's much easier sell than otherwise. It's 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 from top to bottom. You don't have to go to Japan and tell them to be prepared for earthquake. They already know they have to be prepared for earthquake. It's just an example. You don't have to go to Florida and talk about hurricanes. You know, you don't have to go to certain places. Uh, and you don't have to talk about terrorist attack. There are places in the world that terror attack is quite uh, frequent. So I think, fortunately or unfortunately, the, the important things are, so when you want to roll out a program, you relate to see, you see what culturally and what locally they've experienced that's fit for them. Another thing in your manage the team and the culture, the other aspect is the way you do things is very different. The pace in which you do things is very different. I had an interesting experience. I went to one of those Asian countries and I had a presentation for the first time. It was the first time for me in that country. I made a presentation to a team of 30 members in a big meeting room. I spoke about an hour. I love to speak, so I spoke about an hour. After an hour, and I asked, are there any questions? You know, this has been a monologue for an hour. Presented the paper, there are no questions. And uh, there was no response. There was actually zero response. Nobody responded to it, anything. So so I kept on saying, oh, that's, that means either you understood everything or you understood nothing. So I made a joke, still no response. <laughs> and... Uh, I finished the meeting, came back up, and I was really confused. So a very senior person who's not from that country, from another country, came back and told me, I hear you. That's not your problem. You will see tomorrow people will start to come to you. And then that is so true. Within a week, I've got so many queries about the response, but all one-on-one. Oh, you mentioned this. What's it over? So there are some Cultural nuances, people don't want to be seen as asking wrong questions in front of a public. And some, you know, and then you go to another country where you try to speak for it's a one hour conference, one hour meeting. You try to present to 25 people, you can't even get the five minutes back because they have hundreds of questions. You can't finish your presentations. <laughs> it depends on culture, it depends on sensitivity of the people. So there is nothing called you want to do a global program rollout. My advice to everybody is understand the local sensitivity, understand the local culture, and then try to fit the global program within it. That's the only sustainable way of doing anything globally. And, and it's, it, it, we live with that every day, even now. Exactly. Exactly. And I learned that right away. Unfortunately, I had a mentor that kind of walked me through that. I think you've made an important point, having a mentor. I think that's, in general, I think that's a very big piece of advice that I would like to give it. Pass it on is... You know, finding a mentor is very important to you. And then my advice is need not be in your work itself. It could be in your work, but it could be outside. It could be a personal mentor. It could be a friend come mentor. But having somebody to uh, discuss your career, discuss when you get stuck, and having the trusted person who you know can be trusted, also the person has the time to give it to you. I think that's very important to find the mentor. Now, it need not be a very senior person. It could, it could be a senior person, but there is a misconception. It has to be a very senior person to be a mentor. No, it could be somebody on some of your colleague who has got more experience in a specific topic. So mentor also doesn't mean one mentor solves it all. So as you rightly said, you went to Asia. 
the mentor for you in Asia is a mentor for that particular topic and not necessarily for everything in life. I think having those mentors where you go to to cap somebody, I think that helps a lot to avoid embarrassment, solve problems, and and also um, deal with challenges. So thinking about your career, were there any other interesting stories, any other pivotal moments that you wanted to highlight? There's been other interesting experience where once uh, I had a challenge of inheriting a team of people or where all my direct reports were much senior to me by age, as well as number of years experience in that organization, etc. And I was brought in as a change agent to do a lot of transformation. It was very challenging for multiple reasons. First of all, at some point, the reality is that some of the incumbents may want a job. They would think that the outsider is not really the right approach. And it is sometimes challenging to also think that you have been brought to bring the change. That means you are the enemy. So it it is a difficult challenge. And I think this is where uh, I think there is the need to build the rapport. So the way it helped me, for me, was to first to make sure that those senior members who are my direct reports, but senior, gets the right respect that the duty requires. So it was an interesting journey for me, challenging to gain trust and confidence of my own team and then having to drive change slowly. So it was a big, uh, big thing. And there were there was definitely the lesson learned was I started talking to president one of again one of those uh, mentors told me these are the key people who are key to your success because they know the organization well so it's about mapping those right individuals within the team and within the organization to see how can they be your ally understand them respect them get their feedback and then be one among them and, and tackle the problem not the people. So then I think you take the people out of the equation, their context, look at to see what we want to achieve together. How do we want to drive the change? And then you slowly tackle the problem together. Yeah, in some cases, some people don't want to be part of the change and they, they get to choose whether to be part of the change or not. So that's an option. But at least we do it in a way that we take everybody on board and move along uh, without compromising the change agenda. So that, that that was a very interesting challenge to hit the right balance. Uh, and then also uh, give people that respect, security, uh, implement the change, and also at some point taking the tough decisions about if there is somebody who cannot be, who do not want to be part of the change, who are not the right in the right mindset, to find the right role for them inside or outside or do what to be taken. So you have to take some tough decisions at that point. It was tough. Initially, you, you you land up thinking it's going to be an easier role when you see every day one after the other problems are coming in and you always get the feedback. This is not the way we do it. That's a standard thing when you are want to do something, change say, ah, this is not the way we do it. So I think that's that's the first problem to tackle is how do you address the question, this is not the way we do it. And it's rightfully so. So I think we'll have to be very sensitive to ask the question. Fine, but how do we change it now or how do we make it better? I think that's where the, finding the delicate balance. So that it is an interesting journey and it makes you, you know, better as a manager, better as a leader. Also, you always learn from everybody. I think people from within your team, 
people above you. So these that's a constant learning that you keep doing. Yeah, and that's such a good point because at first you were talking about being a change agent, right? And we hear a lot of the soft skills that our companies are looking for when they're looking to hire. And change agent is obviously one of them, but emotional intelligence. So those examples that you were just using, emotional intelligence is a very big aspect of that. And situational awareness as well is, again, another big aspect, especially when you look at business continuity, because you don't not only have your team, and then you're trying to invoke change like you were just speaking about, but then you're having to understand the entire organization and roll out a program that's going to work for the entire organization. So utilizing all those soft skills are so critical, so critical. You use the right words, emotional intelligence and situational awareness. That's the right technical, that's the right word. It's been interesting what we've been hearing from our clients and our hiring managers on that. And then helping people within the profession try to elevate their career and looking and understanding their soft skills and how their conversation one-on-one or within a group or within a team, how each conversation impacts what their brand is. And the brand is essentially your attributes, your competencies, your soft skills, which really comes into play as you elevate your career within the profession, most definitely. And also acknowledging the fact that we we won't be right all the time in your career. You will make mistakes and it's more important to learn from those things and move on. And people keep making mistakes, in you know, so most most of the time unintentionally. And when we make mistakes, uh, you have to see that, I mean, it's another thing is you have to have self-confidence and think, but you make mistakes and, you know, you had a bad day. People, you will have a bad day. Everybody will have a bad day or two. But that you should not feel bad about it and keep doing that. You should move on and to see, okay, fine, how can I undo some of the things? Or if I can't undo it, what can I do to not avoid it? What lesson did I learn from it? So it happens every day. Is there any advice you would give your younger self or anything that you would tell someone who's coming into our business continuity resiliency world? Any bit of advice you you would give that individual? Maybe you're not going to like it because I personally (laughs) think if I have to give an advice to myself is where I think I made a mistake now thinking back or may I could have done better is I always want to do something on my own. And that risk covers mentality of, um, you know, getting into the safety net of not taking risk in terms of I have taken risk in terms of changing career domains and all of that. But I think uh, at some point I want, I had some ideas, I want to do something on my own, but that risk covers mindset uh, stopped me from doing that. So if I, if, if you are anxious, anyone listening to it, and when you start your career, whether it's continuity or resilience or cyber or third party, any topic that you're doing it, of course, do it because if you like it, do it. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult because you have to like it. Second thing is, even if you like it, and if you think you have it in you to do make an idea and make make an entrepreneurial attempt, I think you should do that and you go for it rather than just wait for it to say, oh, let me build my career, let me reach at some state, then I'll do it. It never happens after that. So it's just if you want to if you want to feel doing it, just do it. That's a great piece of advice because so if you think about being entrepreneurial, doing something on your own, it's never too late. Jay, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on our show. And if our listeners want to find you, how can they reach out to you? They can reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn. I think that's probably the best way to reach out to me. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Business Interrupted. I'm Cheyenne Marling for this leader's episode. To get more insights and resources, check out the show notes or head over to castellonbc.com and follow along wherever you get your audio.